You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. All right, Mark, we're sitting here in Herzliya in Israel. Shalom. Shalom. On, on top of our hotel, looking out over the, the Mediterranean with our, our friend and, and guide, Yuval Zelenkovsky, who has uh, guided both of our families on personal trips here in Israel and is with us for the week as we... Yuval is underranked at the number four position. He should be higher. So only ranked the fourth best guide in Israel, not fair. Working my way up. Good evening. Yuval is an amazing guide, and we have used him twice for our family, and you and Sue Ellen have used him, and he is an encyclopedia on everything going on over here, and just the the history, the culture, the politics, the food, (laughs) of which there is a lot. Uh, So Yuval, you're on the Beltway Briefing. Congratulations. You're making the Israeli debut on the Beltway Brief. Amazing. Thank you for Uh, inviting me. Absolutely. We are having quite the the week, Mark, over here. Indeed. Visiting with everybody from pollsters to it's mostly businesses. The startup culture here, the business culture here is dynamic, does not begin to describe what we're seeing over here. The energy in the startup nation is amazing one of our new favorite words right amazing everything's amazing everything's amazing and in fact everything is pretty darn amazing it is i mean tel aviv evolved from the time i first came here in 1991 to what it is today is like a different city yeah tel aviv grew up uh to be much higher a lot of businesses uh, the, the business center have moved to the highway since uh, you've been here the last time. And the number of people that are driving in and out every day is about a million people. Vibrant. A million people in and out in of the and city. Out, commuting. The city yeah. itself is I just over 400,000 people. We saw almost every one of them on the road <laughs> <laughs> this morning trying to get somewhere. And, and as you noticed, the, the, the food in the last 20 years just yeah. became one of the world's best um, Israel today become one of the best places in the world to visit just for food. Forget about yeah. anything else. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. amazing. Although back to your point, Howard, uh, and, and you've all about the high-tech community and the amazing innovation that is happening Now, let's here. just talk about food. Uh, including <laughs> the food. Including it it the is food. part of the same thing. But... What has validated, uh, I think, our trip and our instinct in coming is that all of this extraordinary energy and innovation is being developed here for the U.S. market. Right. It is which is very why we're here. Much, which is why we're here. It is very much a U.S.-facing startup culture that we are visiting. Yeah, well, if, if we're trying to sum up in kind of bulletins, why is it like that? The main reason is that our market is very small. We are about 10 million people here in the country. Our neighbors' GDP is about ours combined. Uh, they would not buy from us because they can't or because of political reasons. 
So all these genius ideas that are coming from here, if they want to go out to the world and bring big money, then they have to start from the beginning to think of other markets, not here. Which principally means the U.S., at least in the at first, least in the at the first, beginning. Right. Yes. Right. The first target is the U.S. And I've, I've been joking in walking around here, you've all that I think you, Howard, and I are the only three people in Israel who haven't <laughs> sold a company already. Right. It's so, incredible. You know, Yuval, one of the things... Speaking of food, here's the coffee. That's right. We're going to have some coffee on top of, top of the you. hotel here. Yuval, one of the um, things that occurred to me as far as the startup culture is Israel's a startup nation. Israel is the startup nation. Now, I know that's the nickname for it, but Israel is a, literally a startup nation. It's a young country, um, obviously very polarizing in a sense, or it's become, it's been polarized, um, but Israel is a young country. It was founded in 1948, and this was desert, and... It's, is that related to the startup culture, business in a, culture? In, in a way, in a way. First of all, we're looking out of uh, the, the Mediterranean and the sand that is surrounding us, and it's part of our story. Um, maybe if you try to, to um, bring some points of why we've became from the people of the book to startup nation, it's the, our new branding, uh, if you'd like. The desert is part of it. Uh, this country is 60% desert, and since we had to overcome our desert, we have developed technologies that allow us to irrigate the desert. The drip Israeli irrigation system is maybe the most famous uh, thing that we came up with, but there's a whole bunch of solutions, our cultured solutions that make Israel world leader on agricultural technologies. And that's because we live in an area that is bordering the desert or is a desert. That's one reason for uh, challenges. Generally, our challenges are one of the main reasons why we became um, startup nation. It's actually counterintuitive because the desert makes us successful in agriculture. The neighborhood, which is hostile, became a world leader on cyber technologies and security and military technologies. Unfortunately, um, the fact that um, our neighbors would not buy from us or could not buy from us make us very stable economy because our economy is based on world economies. If there's any security crisis here or a war or an operation, uh, our economy doesn't is not affected by that that much. Um, the fact that we have You're saying to, it's self-sustaining in a way. It's a global economy here. It's based. You met all those companies. They're all selling in the U.S. and all around the world. Their patents bringing money from economies around the world. It is not based in what's happening in Israel. Oh, right I now. see. So if we have some missiles flying from Gaza, it doesn't mean our economy shuts down in that moment. It's much more global. Um, the the military which should have been against us. The fact that we have to serve in the army to protect us. So first of all, we are not paying tax until three or even four years later than Americans. We are going to the army for three years unpaid, and then we go travel and spend the money that we don't have. And then we join university. I joined university at 25, finished my master's at 31. Uh, we were supposed to have less money. It's supposed to be a toll on the economy, but the army is one of the, the engines that are driving our money, that the guys you met in, in a lot of those startups right. are people who gained their um, driven towards a goal, uh, working in a team, working hard, sacrificing a lot of 
whatever their life is to get to the goal, working under stress, um, not being afraid to fail. A lot of that is coming from our culture that is part of, of, of what is making it hard for us. And in a way, the, 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 the people here made those disadvantages into our advantages. Well, and it is a country, we're going to get to this, I know, in, in a moment. It is election day, we should say, in Israel. And right. it is a country with very divided politics, much like <laughs> our own. And yet it is a country very different than our own in the respect you were just saying that some extraordinary percentage, is it 60 or so percent of the people in the country have served in the military. And that is a common bond and a common experience and a, a common language that uh, just feels like one of the foundations of, of the energy and, and the innovation here, notwithstanding the fact that um, many of you come out of the army and disagree <laughs> then politically about uh, the army and everything else. Well, we, we are polarized society more and more, uh, similar to what's happening in the U.S. today. Uh, we'll see what's happened tomorrow. We will know better will what's know happening better. here. But the fact that we are under attacks, the fact that we have to fight shoulder to shoulder together, it doesn't matter what your political opinion is, the fact that we know that we will risk our lives or even sacrifice our lives for each other because we belong to the same people, part of the, the Jewish people, makes us a family in a way. And understand that we could fight as much as we fight in the politics, but if anything happened, and unfortunately, once in a while something happens, then we are responsible for each other's lives. So there, there, is, there is some kind of a unity that is there that we know exists even if we yell at each other, whatever we yell at each other politically. And I just another observation before we turn to the politics and the, the election. Um, one of the extraordinary facts of, of Israel, it struck me the minute I arrived on our first trip, it struck me every day we've been here this trip, is that while this is startup nation, it is one of the youngest nations on earth, everything here is so old at the same time. Right. It, it is so much older than the United States. There are stones here that everyone knows the location and history of that are 4,000 years old. And in the Bible, we have nothing comparable in the United States. So it it is a very young nation, a startup nation, uh, a threatened nation, but at the same time, a very old, an old land. The land is old, the stories are old, the history is old. Jerusalem's been conquered 30, how many times? Well, yeah, we, 30 can, say, some we can say 30 times, you'll be okay. Yeah, look, we're, we're looking from, from above the pool, we're looking at Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is, was established a hundred years ago when it was still the Ottoman Empire here. The whole Middle East was the Ottoman Empire. There was right. no countries in the Middle East. And the actual name Tel Aviv, tell the story, because Tel in Hebrew is an archaeological site that is made of cities that were destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed tenth of times. Jaffa is 
4,000 years old and had 10th of layers of cities and cultures that were destroyed and rebuilt. So that's Tel. Aviv means spring or renewal. And uh, Herzl, the visionary of political Zionism, uh, wrote a book with his vision about how the state is going to look like, which he called Old Neuland in Yiddish, Old New Land. And the translation right. of the early founders of Tel Aviv to that book became Old New, became Tel Aviv. We are a, a, a flourishing, new, spring, vibrant nation that is now growing on the old land of its ancestors. Mm. Profound. Again, nothing comparable back home. Oh, we're a young nation. We, we are a young nation, but there is no city in our young nation that has been conquered once, let alone <laughs> 35 times. <laughs> I'm going to amend that once. Only by us. Well, we did have a couple of wars with the British and right, and the the Civil War, of course. But the the fact that we are literally, even here in Tel Aviv, as you said, standing on top of 35 civilizations that came and went is is just a, a profound difference. I think that a lot can be learned for Americans from from visiting Israel, from visiting this area, and and understanding that empires come and go, countries come and go, people come and go. We can we can uh, name many empires who ruled the world for hundreds of years. They ruled the world more than the existence of the United States, and yet. Most of the people of the world doesn't even know their names. They came and they disappeared. Here, in order for us to find them, we need to go in archaeological dig and see what right. was their coins and the pottery and read their stories. Right. But massive empires came and disappeared. It's a, go ahead, Mark. Which brings us, of course, to the future. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I find it interesting, the juxtaposition of Tel Aviv. We were talking about this earlier mm-hmm. today. This liberal thriving economic metropolis where it looks like New York City when you look out the window. And then the juxtaposition of that with Jerusalem an hour away, which, as you said, Mark, is ancient. And it's there's division here as far as who lives where, right? Their political viewpoint. Yeah, there's, and, there's, there's different parts. There's different Israel in different geographical area, the same you can say in the United States. Uh, today we're going to vote. When we will look at the voting pattern in Tel Aviv, they'll be completely different from the voting pattern of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is traditional, religious on the Muslim side, on the on the Jewish side. Tel Aviv is liberal. It's, it's the liberal safe haven of the Middle East. It's really the only real liberal place in the Middle East. Um, Tel Aviv has 440,000 people in it. In the gay pride that is happening here in June, we have quarter of a million marching. There is no one, nothing like that in in any country in the region, not in Israel and not in any neighboring country. It's a very liberal, open, international city, but it's Jewish. It could be New York, yeah, but it's Jewish. Yeah, no, it's 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 an amazing it's an amazing place. So as we keep talking about, there is an election here today. And we didn't come, we should tell our listeners, we got lucky. Right. We didn't come for the election. We planned a trip that fit between this and that back home. 
and it turned out to have an election in the middle. Exactly, and but for us, Mark, I mean, it's Couldn't it's our it's our life's work and or our work anyway, and uh, we happen to be here, and everybody wants to talk about it, and it's it's been refreshing in a way to get away from our politics right. and right. talk about somebody else's. Well, because when you say everyone wants to talk about it, everyone wants to tell us about it. Right. No one is asking our opinion. No. of the Israeli election which is a vacation from what uh, we have back home. But uh, Yuval voted early this morning, showed us a picture of his polling place. It uh, did not look like my polling place. We're only <laughs> no. going to vote next week. It, he has uh, a few more choices than... Well, it involved picking one of, I, I think I have the number right, Yuval, one of 17 cards for the 17 parties that are running candidates. Well, I actually uh, threw a random number. I don't know if you share pictures in your podcast, but <laughs> you can. Um, I, I count over 30 uh, little little notes. We, we vote um, manually. So about 30 little notes. I had to see which one is the one I want, just to make sure before I go in that I don't put a wrong one. And yes, about 17 or 11, 10 parties would pass the minimum uh, votings to actually get in, which got to be 3.25 uh, seats in the in the House. So if you don't get 3.25% of the vote, your votes yeah. are disqualified, basically. Exactly. You've you, uh, wasted... If a party does not get 3.25%, the votes are, those votes are thrown out. Exactly. And... But, but go back in for one moment, if we may, to the act of voting, because I'm fascinated uh, by it. We have, of course, in the States, for the most part, there are exceptions, but we have very sophisticated, very secure machines. We vote electronically on sophisticated, secure machines. We nonetheless, as everyone knows, have a raging fake controversy, I will say, about the legitimacy of the last election. Here, there is, uh, I have learned, very little questioning of the integrity of the vote itself, even though you, it, you it vote looks manually. like a, a board Card game. You pick a piece of paper out of a pile of 30, put it in an envelope and drop it. The most old-fashioned system and as a, as a startup nation and one of the world right. leaders on technologies and cyber technologies, we know that we don't trust any computer <laughs> system because <laughs> anything yeah. could be hacked. We can right. do it. I'm Therefore, surprised. someone else can do it. Therefore, we're going to vote manually. Well, at least you Smart. use paper. I'm surprised you don't use Pebbles or, or stones. <laughs> so let's talk about the very complicated makeup of the system here. So you've got all these political parties and it's a um, parliamentary system. So votes are cast. House seats are distributed, right, okay. based on yeah. the votes, and then people get together and form coalitions. Yeah, so, 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 so uh, we have 
you know, one voting system. Everybody votes, have, everyone has one vote for a party. We don't vote for a person. In the House, our parliament is called the Knesset. We have 120 seats, which goes back to the Knesset that we had 2,500 years ago, which had mm. theologically 10 representatives of each tribe. Mm. Not even then. It was symbolic then, it's symbolic today, but that's the number. Okay. So 120 seats, and in order to create a coalition, you've got to have majority 61 seats to legislate, and the rest of the people in the parliament are the opposition. And since we have, in any given moment, um, between 11 and 17 parties in the House, and since we've never had a party that had enough seats to govern themselves, it always has to be a coalition. And the coalition is only as good as, as, long, as long as all the members of the coalition wants to cooperate. So once we've had our election, we still don't know which government. Tomorrow, we will not know which government we're going to have, because now they're going to start negotiating. And it's not necessarily that the biggest party would be the one who would rule and the head of the biggest party not necessarily is going to be the prime minister. Last year, we had a prime minister, Bennett. Bennett, that came from a party of seven seats in the House, then it was reduced to six. And he was the prime minister because he was uh, in the middle and he could choose which block he's joining. And he negotiated in the, in, the, in the coalition negotiation, he negotiated himself to be the prime minister. So uh, our system empowers uh, minority groups and minority agendas, but we keep them in the game at the same time. And since anybody who leaves the coalition would, uh, would then cause the government to not be able to legislate, then the coalition has to, they need to create a new coalition or go to a new election. So we are today voting on our fifth election in three and a half years. Which is remarkable, but also a sign of, sign of the times. People are polarized. Things are split. It, I mean, it, it does feel, Mark, a lot like the dynamic back home. It, it, it does in the polarization, certainly. <clears throat> you get there a very different way. The right. methodology is very different, but the result is, is polarization. And, and share with us, Yuval, what, what Israeli society is polarized about. Hmm. What, what, is, what is it that is polarizing about Israel today? All right, so, so we have uh, our, main, um, our main topics that is always discussed is security. Uh, when people are feel threatened, then that's the most powerful tool to make them go vote for that or that person, uh, whoever they would think is better for the economy. Uh, again, in, in, in my opinion, security is not a big issue to vote on because it's not a huge difference between the right and the left in Israel regarding our local security, the Israeli-Palestinian right. issues or even the Iranian issues. That's what makes this different is people are, un as much as they're divided, they're united. Yeah, that, I, 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 we are part of such a bigger game that is happening in the world uh, that our prime minister, whatever it would be, is not going to dictate if we're going to go to a war in Iran or make big deals in the, in the region. We are part of a big story uh, on the security and no one on the right and the left has a really different agenda. They are trying to market themselves as someone who has a real different agenda, but they don't really. But at the end of the day, they're also 
country is going to unite to protect itself if it's no threatened militarily. No matter who it is. Right. So, um, so, that, that's, so that's one. People are automatically together in a way that I don't think people are automatically together in the United States because we're... You're not threatened. We're not threatened. We're used to being comfortable. We're, we're, right. we're comfortable. And any, any leader around the world today and back in, in the past knew that a good enemy is a, is a, is a great tool to unite people. Um, was used many times. So, so security would be our number one topic, although, again, I would, I would debate that it shouldn't be our number one topic. The second topic is the, the, the character of the country. And, and from, I think, the religious perspective. So we are a Jewish democracy, which is an issue that may be worth a whole podcast by itself. <laughs> But um, Well, just explain for our audience what that even means. So, so first of all, many people blame Israel for not being a real democracy because we're a Jewish democracy. We are not separating religion and state. But if you let the people of Israel vote what they want, which is what democracy, the foundation of democracy is, they would want this country to be a Jewish state and a democratic one. That's what people vote on. We split on how it should look like from a Jewish perspective. So we want the people here to be a majority Jewish. And there's a wide consensus that we should help Jews immigrate here. We make it very, very easy for Jews to immigrate here because we want every Jew around the world to feel that this is their home. If they're in trouble or if they just want to come and join us. So that's a consensus. But is this country going to behave by Jewish, by Jewish law? Because Judaism, unlike Christianity, is a religion of set of laws. There's exact laws of, of how to manage things. Would public transportation run on Shabbat? Would uh, food be sold in the streets in Yom Kippur? Uh, could we buy a pita at uh, Passover? Is it going to be uh, something that the government is going to be part of because we're a Jewish state? And therefore, the government would dictate those things or that should be for people's personal choices. And since part of our parties in the coalition, in the coalition, in the, in the government are religious parties and there's, they have a lot of voters behind them, they would negotiate when they come into a coalition that this country would be Jewish from the government down. And these parties are mostly orthodox. So they would want this country to be Jewish from the top down in the orthodox way. So that's another very big issue uh, that splits the people here. Is it um, separated at all geographically or is Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But is, are the rules different in one place yeah, so, or so, another? So, yes. Yeah, so there's many solutions, uh, many creative solutions being done. Some of them is giving the power to the municipalities uh -huh. um, because different municipalities have different character um, so that um, they can choose if, if public transportation would pass in their communities on Shabbat. If this is a, an Orthodox town or a neighborhood, then, then the public transportation would not pass in their neighborhood and, and differently in, in other places. Um, and also we have to remember that not everybody's Jewish in Israel. Right. So from the 10 million Israelis, 2 million are, are Palestinians, mostly Muslims, Palestinians who are by law equal right citizens of Israel. I'm not talking about the Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. I'm talking about Palestinians who are citizens of Israel. Now, they live as non-Jews in they're, the they're, Jewish state of Israel. They're often referred to as Israeli Arabs. They call them Israeli Arabs, but if you ask but, them, they will tell you they're Palestinians. Yep. Okay, they're part of the Palestinian people, the same Palestinians who live in the West Bank and in Gaza, but they are Israeli citizens because they stayed in what became Israel at 1948, after the war, 
the country they, they fought that would not be created, Israel was created, and they were in their homes when the country was created and they were given citizenship. So they vote in the Israeli election like anybody else. And actually one of the Palestinian Israeli parties is holding the current coalition right now. They are at the first time ever part of the coalition, the current coalition that is still uh, here right now. And these guys are non-Jews in a Jewish democracy. They're supposed to get their equal rights, although it's a Jewish democracy, um, which again, we're opening a whole right. big topic. Right, spend um, <laughs> hours on, on but that. That's, but well, that's another major. Of years. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's another major topic yeah, yeah. that, that let's sure. say that the far left, Jewish and Israeli, Arab, Palestinian, would want this country to have more of a separation of religion and state. And the right would want it to be more Jewish in character and, and in law. And the, Again, just in comparing it, Israel and the United <coughs> States, um, it, the fundamental fact of Israel uh, is that there, there is not only no separation of church and state or synagogue, synagogue and state yeah. here, <coughs> it, in fact, uh, it, it is a merger of the two and a lot of the polarization as you're explaining comes from interpreting and translating <coughs> and applying that but one of the foundational principles of the united states the enlightenment idea that church and state should be separated is, is antithetical <coughs> to to the jewish democracy right but this is what people here wants and since we are very traumatized people coming from the Holocaust and being persecuted through all our, our history and today, then we feel as people, doesn't matter if they're liberal, orthodox, right or left politically, that we should have a Jewish safe haven here. Right. That it should be a Jewish state, not any other state, not like any other state. By the way, there's many countries in the Western world that are not separating religion and state, like England, for example, but many others as well. Yeah, although it's ceremonial <coughs> okay. in England. Okay, but we're, but, there's, there's another 17 countries right. that I can mention right. that are. Um, right. But we feel that this country should be a Jewish state. There's only few of us in the world, 13, 14 millions. If we would not favor Jews in this little part of the world, it would not be a Jewish state. You, you keep mentioning the um, importance uh, and the policy of being a home and safe haven for Jews from around the world. So immigration doesn't sound like the kind of issue here that it is in the States. In the States, one of the most polarizing issues, of course, is immigration. We've, we are a country of immigrants, and yet we are closing our doors, as we have done cyclically throughout our history. Is immigration an issue here? It is an issue. Um, it's a complex issue. Um, okay, a few, few points about this. First, we want Jews to find it easy to immigrate here. We have a minister of Aliyah, okay, not immigration. There's a different word in Hebrew for immigration and for a Jew moves to Israel. We use different words. Aliyah means to go up. So a Jew moves to Israel, is no, going up religious. to Israel. 
concept again. It's, it's a spiritual the concept. Merger of yeah. church and state. Yeah, and, and a Jew that leaves Israel is actually going down from Israel. They do Yerida. We have an office of Aliyah, we have a minister of Aliyah, and their job is to make sure that we take care of Jews around the world who wants to come here and we'll make it easy. So, from one hand, we want to make it easy for Jews to come here. From the other hand, being a very small, vibrant, and, and strong economy in an area that has a third world countries around us that are almost completely Muslims, we're very threatened and concerned about other kinds of immigration here. If our gates would be open to work immigration, um, we would be flooded with immigrations. We're connected by land to Africa and to the Middle East. Uh, and in order to keep ourselves in, in, in this liberal Jewish democracy that we have here, then we have to be very careful about other immigrations that are here. Yuval, talk about um, Ben Gavir, who is the far-right candidate in the election, or his party is. <clears throat> okay. um, I know that I'm getting lots of questions from people back home about what discussion is about Ben Gavir. And so talk about that a little bit. Okay. So we, we will know tomorrow, but is it likely that Ben Gavir, who is uh, an, 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 a very right-wing politician is going to be the third biggest party in Israel uh, in this election. And he's a guy that comes from the right, politically, right, religiously, a settler kind of voting base, not only. Um, he's coming from the Judean mountains area. One of his uh, childhood heroes was uh, a rabbi, uh, Kahana, who created a mass murder among uh, Palestinians, killed a few tenths of Palestinians in Hebron. And um, Ben Gvir uh, used to be his fan in his youth. He's now claiming that he's away, went away from this. There was a debate, should he be even be legal to run in our election? Uh, eventually he did. And um, the fact that he is gaining so much power could be tribute to world, um, trend of the rising right, <clears throat> which is also touching us as well. But he could also go and talk about specific things that happened here. Uh, one of the things that have happened that maybe is, is one of the influences that in May uh, 2021, we had some skirmishes with, with Gaza. Some missiles flew from Gaza into Israel. Israel went to some operation in Gaza and the Israeli Palestinians two million in numbers, some of them has joined um, to the whole um, Palestinian-Israeli conflict. But as citizens of Israel, living in Jaffa, living in mixed cities, Haifa and Akko and Ramla and Lod, um, and that made a lot of Israelis very concerned uh, that we are not going to be able to live together peacefully even not with our citizens, with our Israeli, Arab, Palestinian citizens in Israel. And that maybe is another thing that pushed more people to the right. Generally, in the last 20 some years, 23 years maybe, since uh, maybe Ehud Barak, the last really liberal prime minister we had here in 99, um, there is a collapse of, of the left uh, in Israel. We have uh, offered, or we thought we have offered the Palestinians everything that we could have offered as long as we are still safe here, including we have offered divide Jerusalem and, and a lot of other things, and that did not go through. And the left-wing dream 
of creating two states living peacefully side by side start to be shared by less people. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's a shift that is happening in the last 20 some years. And I don't know where it's going, but this is, this is a, more than we've ever had. There's more right than we've ever had. And, and yet, um, in our travels, coming <coughs> back to the beginning, our trip, uh, in our travels, everyone has wanted to talk about the election. Everyone has had uh, his or her view. I think it's interesting in the community in which we have been traveling, the startup nation, tech community, I think there is some trepidation that um, Benjamin Netanyahu may yet again be prime minister of Israel. But that is um, their political and their their ideological concern in talking about business, which is what brought us here. It, it seems, Yuval, that despite the polarization, despite the, the uncertainty, just despite living in a, a rough neighborhood, the country is booming, the country is prosperous, and I I, I haven't felt that the election results are going to determine the business environment and success. I, I think we've had a very successful trip and I think the relationships we've been fortunate enough to, to form, the opportunities we've uncovered, are going to be there tomorrow regardless of the vote tonight. Absolutely. Which, which is an interesting commentary on where government fits in, right. in the Who gets economy. the credit? Who gets, as I asked yesterday, who yeah. gets the well, credit? Who gets the credit and, and does anyone deserve, anyone in government deserve the credit for, what, for the amazing economy of Israel? Everybody claims to have the credit, yeah. obviously. We have not invented that system. Yeah. Um, so, so Netanyahu was in power for 13 years until a year ago. Um, and now we had um, center liberal government uh, for a year. And it, it, there's, there's a problem of, of, there's a challenge of who gets the credit for what or the blame for what. Because the new government has been in place for too little time to either take the credit or to be blamed for what is wrong. Um, so it's a mix, it's a mix now. And I, I think it's fair to say also, uh, <clears throat> coming back to the theme of our trip, which among the themes has been the, the confirmation that the miracle of the Israeli economy is very uh, American facing. It, it is the American market that all of this being uh, developed for, uh, it, it feels like the United States remains Israel's most important relationship. Absolutely. And it feels like the polarization is not about the relationship with the United States. Not in Israel, definitely. No, no, no we have no. no doubt. We have no doubt that the U.S. is our biggest friend um, and the most stable relationship that we have economically, and, and ideologically, yeah. uh, albeit different than it was 25 years ago. It's not the same, no. It is right. changing, right. yes. It is right. changing, and we have very complex relationship with Russia, 
which are at our door. Russia is a big player in Syria right now. And since Syria is part of the, 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 the Shiite crescent, okay, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and, and if we want to be active in Syria, cutting the supply of weapon that is going from Iran to Lebanon, we have to fly our jets there and we have to have some agreement with the Russians about this. Um, so that makes our situation very sensitive with the Russians and also with how we treat the Russia-Ukrainian situation. So it's not just the U.S. that is controlling and dominating the region right. like we had 20 years ago. Well, and we have to consider of other... Course, yeah. The U.S. has changed. Right. Our, our view of Israel evolves. Different administrations treat Israel differently. The politics are different. The politics are different. One the thing left. we've we've learned in our personal travels, Howard, and and in this trip again, is that uh, political figures from the United States. Barack Obama, Donald Trump, for example, are viewed differently in Israel than, than back home because of their policies or actions that impacted uh, Israel. I've, I've been uh, struck by the fact that while most Israelis I've talked to in my travels here recognize um, our listeners are familiar with me being a little biased, so this won't shock anyone. Recognize that Donald Trump is is not a stable genius, as he calls himself. He he did some things that were very good for Israel. The Abraham Accord, specifically. And many of us believe that Barack Obama is a lot closer to a stable genius than Donald Trump. And yet he did some things that Israelis don't especially appreciate. Yeah. So where, where you stand depends on where you sit, as, as we know. So, so Israelis, you know, we look at what's happening in our region from our selfish uh, point of view. Of and if we look at what happened here at the time uh, Donald Trump was, was the prime minister, the president, then the Abraham Accord is maybe the most important thing. Uh, moving the embassy to Jerusalem is another. Um, the support that we've got at the UN at uh, Trump time was not something we've experienced before. Nikki Haley there and budgets and um, the change of language that the American um, uh, government have used regarding Israeli settlements and, and others recognizing the Golan Heights as part of Israel uh, and more and more. Um, there's a lot of things that have done and again, nothing to say about what Israelis are thinking about Donald Trump as a person. Just right. looking at what was happening right. here in the region, Iran was weakened. Um, Fascinating. It's very difficult for me to personally <laughs> to mesh all of the above the the support for Israel with the anti-Semitism coming from the right, Charlottesville. The anti-Semitism coming from the left, it's, it's, it's just extraordinarily it's complicated. For us as but, well. But let's wrap with, with the most important topic. We touched it, it earlier, and um, it, it, I think it's appropriate to end, end with it. Uh, where are we going to dinner tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so, so just uh, two hours ago, we sat at the beach at Jaffa. 
Magnificent. Having uh, amazing. I having after amazing. two business meetings, I might add, <laughs> right, on right, right. on a holiday here. Right. Yeah, having calamari and beer on the beach, and uh, a non-kosher meal. Non-kosher because it's not easy to find kosher meal in Tel Aviv. And now we're going uh, to another great restaurant on the beach. <laughs> this time in the northern part of Tel Aviv. Um, just we're, we're eating great and uh, living living life. Eating, living uh, it is. Uh, <clears throat> It's you know, good to be here. You know, with, with, to... with all the conflict that we're, we're talking, you know, 40-some minutes about conflicts and how complex things are, life here are fun and easy and vibrant and people are very happy and they're very healthy. And since I, I'm an I'm honored guest in the, in, the, in the podcast, I would mention another fact that Israelis live four years longer than Americans. So that means that's we so. are... That's a fact. And that's a fact. Which I, means, which I means, can explain that. Oh, it could right. be the food, because it could I be think the family, correct. it could be... Tell, tell me if I, if I am. Uh, golf is not played <laughs> in Israel, right? I'm, I'm becoming, Football! Yeah, I'm, I'm learning as I become a golfer that it is not good. But whatever whatever the reason is, Israelis live longer than Americans, and since part of my hidden agenda here is to bring some, some more Americans here, <laughs> right. then I would say to those who think Israel is a dangerous place that at least statistically, you're increasing your chance to survive longer <laughs> any minute you're here right. and not there. Right. It feels so safe. I mean, it's so it much safer so here than it does back home on a lot of levels. It's, um, Yuval, if our listeners want to contact you, first of all, they can call me or Mark. Of course. Um, and we'll put you in direct contact, but how can they reach you? How can they reach me? Uh, email, phone, which should I give my information yes, here right give now? It, give it. Well, my email is Yuval, Y-U-V-A-L, 72, so you know how old I am, <laughs> at gmail.com. He's not email. 72, by the way. I am not 72. I was born at 72. And my number, my phone number is 972. It's uh, the code for Israel, 5442707772. What's up? WhatsApp is the most uh, used uh, app in this right. country. Don't so don't try yeah. to text you. Don't text me. No, WhatsApp. I don't I message him? Yeah, you'll no never I hear message. back. WhatsApp. <laughs> it's all about WhatsApp. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, I think we'll have some more discussion while we're here, and our trip continues, guys. And you all, thanks for coming on. And thank you for having me it's in your podcast. Enormously difficult to sum up thousands of years of. Uh, history and, and a lot of deep politics, but you, as always, do a great job. So thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.